0: Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. This is uh, Monday, November the 9th, 2020. And uh, Monday Main Point is brought to you by the pastoral staff here at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. I'm Jonathan Henderson. I have with me in the room Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, our children's pastor, Blake Flintcham, and our senior pastor and the man who preached this message yesterday, Jeff McCarthy. Uh, we're going to be, we are continuing our look into uh, Echoes from Exile Prophetic words for troubling times, and this past week we looked at Joel, and in particular we looked at uh, the repentant heart. And we're going to talk a lot about repentance today. I have a feeling. Um, real quick rundown of Joel. Joel's only three chapters, and um, Jeff, you can jump in here and correct me as as I'm going through this quickly. But uh, we don't really know the
1: timing of Joel. Um, I think I think the one. No, that... there's a lot of speculation. So. I think I made that statement in the the sermon that there's no really time you can't really pinpoint it, but maybe God allowed that to happen so that we can apply it to whatever situations we face and not try to think well this just happened then. Right. With all the other ones,
0: we were kind of able to say well this one's pre-exilic. This happened probably during the exile. The the majority of people that I read tend to put this as a post-exilic. This is this would be after Judah had fell and because there's some there's some ideas here with um, uh, Phil, uh, Philistia and is um, it uh, I'm looking in Ty- what well, yeah uh, Philist- uh, Philistia and it's in chapter three uh, tyre saw it on where, where he's uh proclaiming um, you know that you did these things to Judah kind of like what we saw with Edom he mentions Edom in Egypt so we don't know exactly when um, and we don't actually even know that much about Joel as a person. We It, it doesn't really say. I did find out his name um, his, his name means like the the one God or something like that. Yahweh is, is God. Yahweh is God. God. That's it. Yahweh, the one
1: who says Yahweh is God. Yeah. Or another translation said the one who worships God.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first, it's really divided into two sections. The first section is basically uh, where he is addressing apparent an apparent present day or recent disaster um, with this plague of locusts that come and destroy um, much of uh, I mean it must have been an an sort of unprecedented
1: uh, kind of similar to what you know if you if you Google and look at some of these videos from uh, the plague of locusts in East Africa and India now. Yeah, it's been happening during the pandemic. You'll see that. Yeah, this is very plausible. And right,
0: and and, and locusts that that they, that happens a lot. It's actually been particularly bad over there this year. Um, this apparently was really bad um, from what you can see. And what you see Joel doing in through these poems is he's taking this idea of this locust plague, and he's uh, extrapolating from that to to. Um, look towards the day of the Lord. As these locusts have destroyed, the day of the Lord is coming where this is going to happen as well. And so he sees this as an opportunity for uh, people to repent. Um, So that's sort of the first part of Joel. The second half of Joel picks up around the end of chapter 2 and goes to the end of the book. Um, And it's strictly looking at, he has a vision of the future, wherever that is. And and it's talking about the coming judgment at the day of the Lord, and so that's really the whole book of Joel. I mean, in in a nutshell, um, we can we're, we can and will talk a lot about the sort of details. Um, but yesterday was all about uh, the repentant heart, and and in particular, we were looking at uh, we Jeff had us focused on uh, Joel chapter two verses twelve through fourteen, I think, but actually I guess it's twelve through seventeen there roughly. Where um, that's the section where Joel is talking about uh, the people um, repenting. So, um, yeah, let's just kind of jump into it, fellas. And what um, are there things that, that Jeremiah that kind of stood out to you yesterday that you kind of wanted to address? Um, we were talking a little bit before the, before the thing, before we started actually recording this morning, but uh, what are some things that you'd like to bring, up, uh, bring to the table out of the gate?
2: Yeah, the one thing Jeff didn't get to, uh, and I wish he had, um, so we can just talk about it today, is the fact that in beginning in verse 18, not only is he calling them to repent, Joel is calling them to repent. Uh, They do repent, apparently, because in verse 18, it shows that God relents. And I think, Jonathan, we talked about this even before the sermon. It's like God God is taking everything from them, or these locusts are taking everything from them. Uh, before uh, the repentance, they repent and then they, they begin receiving everything back. It's like uh, uh, rewinding the tape. Yeah, yeah, that, that,
0: that's that's what. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. It's like I really like that. Actually, it's a poetic device that he uses there. But almost, almost um, section by section, he, he he's like um, um, the this invading army coming. There's a fire and drought that's destro- that's destroying the crops because the crops are being destroyed, the animals are suffering, and you know, there's all these things. And then it's like piece by piece, after after this section on repentance, it's God responds to the people and it's like the invaders are gone, the animals are happy again, the pastures are back again, the crops are back again. Um they didn't have bread and wine for the offering. Now they have everything they need for the offering to give back to God. So it's it, there's some really neat imagery there. Uh, and it's, it, like I said, it's like, it's, it's rewinding that tape. I, I like yeah, that Yeah, that,
1: that, that verse, and I thought about that verse about uh, God would restore the years that the locusts had eaten. That's from Joel, which mm-hmm. talks about that renewal and all. Uh, but that really wasn't the direction I was going in with the new Eden or the new Messianic age. It uh, was more tying into the New Testament's uh, interpretation uh, and I think they got that information from Christ uh, about what Joel was talking about and then what it means for, for them at that time and then now us, what it means for us, anticipating that the ultimate day of the Lord, which is really ultimate in the future.
0: So the the question I would have and, and is that section, because it does start in, in verse 18 where it says, then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people, and the Lord answered his people, um, and then he goes into look, I'm about to send you grain, new wine, and olive oil. You'll be satiated with them. I'll no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. And he and then that that's where he starts going back where, where everything starts getting restored. That sounds as though that happens in the pre, in their present, and he's not quite talking about the 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 new kingdom that's coming. But maybe I'm misunder maybe I'm misreading that. I, I, I mean, when I, when I was reading that, I was yeah. like Jeremiah. I thought that that it was like okay, God responds to the people who repent, and He gives them back all those things that they had lost. Um, but maybe I'm again. Maybe I've maybe I'm misreading that. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I mean, He does, and then they get taken into exile again, and then the Romans come, and then they get destroyed again. They've been restored in 1948 which a lot of people will read those scriptures and say that's talking about modern-day Israel and the people return. So uh, I guess if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you can read and understand and apply um, so many times the book of Joel on so many occasions. Yeah, I,
0: I, I do like that about, um, about Joel, so. Jeff. It does seem, and you... you know. Because
1: some of the people said that... Uh, he, it was, he was made a band with Nazareth, uh, Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, when yeah. they were actually rebuilding. Yep. And um, uh, so then, so because there are references to the temple, and mm-hmm. you know, and I'll talk about some of those later on. But um, so it's just it's just real interesting. I kind of tend to think about Joel because they talked about him being a writing prophet and having access to all these scriptures. That perhaps he was part of a school of prophets, maybe like the essenes from the new testament period that gathered the materials and maybe through his being described you know rewriting the scriptures and maybe that's where he was kind of getting this theology of the day of the lord and then he was trying to use it to teach people Mm -hmm. um so it's just very interesting because it is i mean because for us as christians they have the lord we want jesus coming back now because We don't have anything to fear, but if I'm not a Christian, the day of the Lord is like a terrible day, so that you got this going on that He wants us all to kind of struggle with throughout all the generations, right? I think
0: back to Amos and in Amos, the day of the Lord, He says, You look forward to it, but Israel is going to be a horrible thing for you, right? And I, and I wonder too, and this is another question I had from yesterday's message, Jeff, is that, um. In 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 chapter three, he starts talking about this day of the Lord, right? And that's mm-hmm. where he says that God's gonna in those days pour out His spirit on on. I think it's in... is it in three that he does that, or is it in two? Two two. two.
3: It's Say, in chapter two. two. Oh, there it is. It's, right. it's in the but but
0: if it's after it's two. There it is. It's two twenty eight. Yeah. But it's after he switches gears and right, he's talking. Right, 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 right. So he's talking about this future day of the Lord. And after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Mm -hmm. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. And we see you pointed this out. Peter uses this in that sermon and says, this prophecy is being fulfilled before your eyes basically right now. Right, This is what's happening. Does that mean that the day of the Lord then is connected to Jesus' death and resurrection? Or is the day of the Lord that we're looking at here, are we supposed to look further future? What, what, what do you think? Because I- both. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: So I'll let these guys talk. So I've been doing most of the time. Yeah. But right, I but- think it's. But I think. I think Jesus fulfilled all the Day of the Lord judgment on the cross for us. Okay. And when we accept it into our life, then we we're we're now on that side where the Day of the Lord is a day of glory because we're going to be reunited with the the guy that 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 saved us. Right. But, but if I'm approaching it where I reject what Jesus did, then woe to me when that day comes okay so i think it's both that's what i'm saying i think this the whole thing about judgment law when they made fun of mike uh, mike pence because he did quit keep quoting um isaiah 714 he'd always say and god will, uh, uh he's going to heal our land mm-hmm. that's kind of how he ended every one of those and that's when the mm-hmm. guy came up with a joke about oh hand washing to repentance is what we need right so really i mean that's what all these disasters, whether it's a pandemic like we're going through now, or be a personal disaster, mm-hmm. those things happen so that we can look at our life and judge in our own heart: mm-hmm. is God judging me for my sins, or should I turn to Him? And I think that's that's the beauty about the Bible and the Jewel. So I'm going right. to try to be quiet. <laughs> <that> these guys, <laughs> well, I was going to, gonna, I was going to toss. I it. mean, I, I obviously could tell. I really just this Jewel book is like. It it's actually was one of my favorites anyway, but it's really got me uh, pretty excited. <laughs> so what do you guys think on, on
0: that Day of the Lord question? Are you, um, is, it, is, it, is it all fulfilled there on the cross in the resurrection, or are we looking ahead? Um, what, I, I want to get your thoughts on it, too.
3: Yeah, so I think, I mean, Jeff is definitely right when he said both. But I think that, because uh, the cross, and I've said this before, but the cross is a great picture of God's love and God's wrath all coming together at one point on Golgotha. Mm-hmm. And But we also see that with his spirit, Jesus said that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, is going to empower his church to do even greater things that he would. And eventually you see in Revelation that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to dwell with his people and like in revelation 21 uh, one of the most comforting chapters for a christian you know in verse 4 it says there's going to be no more sorrow no more death no more crying for the former things have passed away so yes it's going to be great for the christian but uh revelation 19 is also and revelation 20 is also very uh very scary for somebody who's not in christ either so i think you kind of see that judgment and love Kind of idea throughout the scripture, even until you get to Revelation.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, Jeremiah, you want to toss in on this, or you want to go a different direction?
2: No, I'll I'll comment here. So, um, yeah, I think it's both and right. I think that's spot on, and I think even with with what I said about verse eighteen, it's both and. Mm. Uh, So God restores them currently, present time, but then there's some definite things in there. That that look to be they won't be restored fully mm-hmm. until uh, Jesus, and so while while the fulfillment is there, the prophecy is fulfilled like present time or shortly thereafter. Um, it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, and I think the same thing with the with the day of the Lord, because um, even now. I think the day of the Lord, or like things like the kingdom, you know, it's both both now, mm-hmm. present now, but it's also a future thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, uh, so when we talk about Joel being kind of ti- uh, timely or, or not really timely, but have no time, it's like timeless, timeless right? Yeah. Right. Um, it, it it just plays into that fact that it's it's both both and yeah. right. And to
3: reiterate that, even Jesus, I would say, makes the argument that it's both and because well Obviously, his life here on Earth, but in Luke twenty-one and even in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew twenty-four, he even mentions Joel here, where it talks about the sun is going to be turning the darkness and the mm-hmm. moon to blood, and before the great and terrible day, things like that. So even Jesus is pointing towards something while he's here on Earth. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. I want to, I want to turn the page a little bit here, and let's uh,
0: let's talk, and I'll I'll go. We'll we'll go around the table this way again, and we'll end with you. But I, I, one thing that I find really interesting about Joel, um, especially since the message was focused on repentance and, and, and should be because there's a I think that's at the heart of Joel. I really do. Mm-hmm. But what I find really interesting here that stands out so far from all the other minor prophets we've looked at is that there is no accusations and no no sin called out here, right? Mm. There... All the other prophets we've seen, every one of them have said, have pointed and said, sin, you know, your, your sin here is led to, is going to lead to this judgment. Or your sin here is going to lead to this
2: judgment. But we don't see that in Joel. Uh, what do you make of that? It's a good question. Something I haven't thought about, so I, I care not to com- comment right now. <laughs> <laughs> Blake, do you want to try? Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: Yeah, we, I think probably what's happening here is that he's saying obviously what's on his heart Mm -hmm. and the word from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think probably for this context, the message that he said was definitely fitting. And I can, here's one thing to answer your question we can be confident about is that this was definitely the word of the Lord and that there's no error. Oh yeah. So he is definitely. uh, This is definitely coming from the word of the Lord, and it was applicable then and applicable now. Right,
0: and I mean, he even says in in the very beginning, we he 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 much says that the word of the Lord that came Mm. to Joel. So uh, there's no doubt that this is the word of the Lord. I just find it really interesting that it stands out that way. Jeff, I'm sure that you thought about this a little bit more. Maybe the, yeah. I, that, that's my fault, guys. I didn't mean
1: to throw you uh, well, a curve uh, <clears throat> curveball there. And we're trying to encourage you to, If you haven't googled the Bible Project or got a hold of that yet, or yes, like, please do. Just put the name of the book, Bible Project. You'll see a video that gives you a good summation of the book, and and the, they address that uh, because chapter three is is so. He refers to Isaiah and. Zephaniah he, it was like Ezekiel. four or five different um, prophets that um, he the, the, and their theory was that mm-hmm. he didn't really need to point out their sin because they're aware of these scriptures they're aware of these prophecies so they pretty much know uh, what the sin is and so his his focus was mainly on it, it's it's here it's coming we know it's here and coming so now what are you going to do about it um, so that they were already aware of their sin. It's kind of like when, um, you know, I grew up in Independent Baptist, and you know they preached on sin all the time, um, and you almost, you almost got used to it. But in reality, if you sin, you're aware of your sin. You don't really have to get up there and every week and list everybody's sins because you're aware of it. And I think that's kind of what Joel's situation was. He knows the people. They have a heart, and they've had to be aware that something's going on. And this this disaster with the locust, or this this army that destroyed everything these were done so that I can examine my heart and turn back to God. Um, so that's I hadn't really thought beyond that either. But uh, it did make sense to me that if there, if, if he was like this school of prophets, and they were gathering all the information, that people were aware of it already. So.
2: Yeah, and I'll just point to uh the future focusness of the book. Yeah. Um so he's not really focused on their past, which may be why he doesn't mention any uh sin sin past sins. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think Jeff's right. I think it's just understood they they understood their sin. He's wanting to focus on the future. Mm-hmm. Uh with the emphasis on the day of the Lord and uh what what God would do if they would repent. Um uh yeah so that's interesting that's a good question
3: and I think a thing too that we see here with this future sense we see that Joel's idea of what's going to happen in the future is affecting his actions in the present mm. with him and I think uh, for a Christian it uh, regardless of if you're pre-meal pre-whatever uh, we know that Jesus is coming back and it's not mm-hmm. going to be good for non-Christians and it's going to be great for Christians But if we really believe that, that's going to affect our evangelism in the present. And so I think we see a great example here from Joel. Yeah. When I look at it, I I actually think, um, I think the reason why it stands out is because
0: of Joel is, man, in some ways, Jeff, I think Joel more than maybe any other prophet we've studied so far is really relevant to where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Because Joel looks at the tragedy around him, the disaster around him, and he says, well, I mean, he he sees it as an opportunity to get closer to God. Yes. And that's what he's doing. He's he's telling people, look, um, this is bad what's happened, but there's a day coming that's going to be even worse. And... In this day of tragedy, let us prepare our hearts and make ourselves <laughs> and, and repent and 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 come back to God, return to God, so that we'll be prepared for even if there is a worse for, for the worst is to come. Not only will will he will it help us to get proper focus on where we are right now, but it will also um, prepare us for future for, for the future as well. And and I think that that's kind of what we're trying to do as pastors through through this 20 through this 2020 year right i mean there's been so much and you pointed it out in your intro i mean you listed everything that's gone wrong and we've spent a lot of time doing that and it's just there is there's just so much and then you know um it just seems like i mean we've even lost we've even lost more celebrities in 2020 it feels like you know yeah. we just lost alex trebek over the weekend you know and i, I don't know it's just it's just it seems like every I jeopardy i know we're in jeopardy man. Well, yeah right and every week it just seems like there's something else and instead of just focusing on just the tragedy perhaps we should take this time to focus on god mm-hmm. and and return to him whatever that looks like whether it means turning to him for the first time or as you said, even for the Christian, to turn to turn afresh and anew. I, I'm finding myself... I don't know. I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with Jeremiah, so I know he is too. Both of us are... And, and Blake, all of us, I think, are. I'm finding myself so much deeper in Scripture right now than I have been in years. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, just taking an opportunity, this opportunity is being given to us, um, and not seeing it as a challenge so much as an opportunity. And using that opportunity to prepare our hearts uh, not only to deal better with what's around us right now, but to deal uh better with the future as well. I don't know. I mean, that,
1: that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about uh Joel, when the repentance is offered, and I think that's why Peter at Pentecost, when he preached that sermon, you know, the people said, what are we supposed to do? And they're like, repent. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that was the first word I was about, but in that in that sermon he talked about that this was going to be poured out on all people including the gentiles yeah okay so this repentance now is offered to anybody and everybody that that this the holy spirit is so, so that now we we're in a you know a, a global pandemic so everyone has an opportunity if if we as christians go out there and get the word out which right now is hard to do but eventually we're going to be able to start talking to people and we all have a story to tell about how did you make it through? How did you cope? Mm -hmm. Um, Like you, you, when you're talking about this, I I like to read the message a lot because it kind of brings it into modern day language. And I know a lot of paraphrasing different, but listen to some of the things, how he described uh, what was going on um, in chapter one. Um, Verses. Uh, this is after the locus. It's is in verse uh, verses eight, or so. This is probably verse nine. Um, Worship has been brought to a standstill in the sanctuary of God. The priests are at a loss. The God's ministers don't know what to do. And I thought about it when I read that. I was like, that was us at the very beginning. It's like, yeah, what's what are we gonna yeah. do? All right. And then if you look down at verse um, thirteen. Through uh, fourteen says also you priests put on your robes and join the outcry, you who lead people in worship, lead them in lament. Spend the night dressed in gunny sacks, you servants of my God. Nothing's going on in the place of worship. No offerings, no prayers, nothing. Declare a holy fast. Call a special meeting. Get the get the leaders together. Round up everyone in the country. Get them into God's sanctuary for serious prayer to God yeah when when I read this you you can always say I mean if we called uh, and and the verses following the verses I uh, preached on did have like this nationwide call they gathered the people even Mm -hmm. the the little infants they all came together Mm -hmm. they all had this mass repentance this mass turning back to God this mass restoring true God worship you know, and us Baptists were the worst for gathering with people that quote don't believe like us. Mm-hmm. So if there was a mass call for mass repentance from all the believers from all stripes to come together and let's let's have this solemn assembly, would we even go? Mm-hmm. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think what what's happening is God's trying to get our attention because all of us did the same thing 9-11 we said you know this is going to be the revival everything every time something happens we all say this is going to be the revival this is going to be the thing that changes everybody's hearts well obviously um, even this pandemic hasn't it a lot of people's hearts mm-hmm. because I think maybe we're trying to change their hearts and it's got to be the Holy Spirit that does that mm-hmm. and, yeah. but it's going to be mm-hmm. when, we, when we're able to get out of the sanctuary get out into the community and, and share our stories how we coped how we made it through the pandemic and what future and hope we have, yeah. that's going to change people. Yeah, so check this out. I really like this. So,
0: because the locusts come, they don't have bread and they don't have wine mm-hmm. to do the offering at right. the temple. So, their rites and rituals have been cut off mm-hmm. from them. And so, then they're at a loss as to, well how do we do this? How do we worship? But the thing that hasn't been cut off from them that they're still able to do is repent, yeah. right? Because, because you know, and this goes back to something, Jeremiah, you've said over and over again. God, you've pointed out to us when we've been looking at this is that God isn't interested so much about your rites and rituals as he is the heart, right? And even here in the section you preached on, which my favorite verse in the whole thing is tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, okay, yeah, you don't have bread. You don't have wine that's been cut off from you. Like like you said, so much of what we called worship as a
1: church got cut off from us. Right, even us with our uh, Good Friday service. We, we had a whole debate it. about are we going to have a uh, virtual communion or a, yeah, you know, yeah. And there was this big huge debate in the internet and all, and we 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 felt like we could still do it. I just made you drink too much. <laughs> <cheese>. <laughs> we couldn't. But but, but then, yeah, but we couldn't gather as a community and as a body to do it. Right.
0: So we couldn't do community the way we normally would. Yeah. We couldn't do vacation Bible school. Yes. We couldn't do all these things that we normally do. All these things that we normally attach to. And some people might might have looked at that and started fretting and rubbing their hands and go, Oh, no. Well, well how's the church going to survive? And we actually saw people talk about that. And I remember Jeremiah going, Well, the, the I remember somebody saying, you know, well maybe the church will appreciate being, you know, the uh, uh, maybe during this time where where they're they're not able to worship. I think it was the wording. They're not able to worship, then people will when they are able to worship will will will, will have a desire for it. And I looked at them and I said, what do you mean they're not able to they should worship? Be
1: worshiping at they home.
0: can still worship. There's not any like repentance hasn't been cut off from us. Like worship hasn't been cut off from us. We're not cut. In fact, the same spirit that was poured out on all humanity is the same spirit that we have connection with now. And so, I mean, I see so much of this that's like relevant. So, yeah. 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 Jeremiah, you look like you're ready to say something.
2: Yeah. So the call to repentance actually starts in Joel 1. You just yes, read yeah. it. Yes, yeah. There were two and 13. The
1: locust one and then the army one.
2: And in, and in that call, just to your point, look, they, they don't have grain, they don't have. But what they do have is the sacks that the grain go in. Uh-huh. Uh, and So he says, put it on. Put mm-hmm. on the sackcloth. Right. Yeah. Which is not just for Joel's time period. That was a common thing that if you were meant, uh, lamenting or mourning, mm-hmm. uh, you see it in, in Jonah it, it, with the, uh, the Gentiles or the Ninevites. They, they put on sackcloth. Yeah. You put it with David, they put on sackcloth. It's a sign of repentance or a sign of, of mourning. Uh, So he tells him to do all that. He says, call call a solemn assembly. Then we get to our text and you're right. My favorite part is, he's like, look, I don't care what you wear. I don't (laughs) care that you're tearing your clothes. That doesn't matter to me. He says, rend me your heart, Mm -hmm. not your rituals, Mm -hmm. not your sacrifices. I don't don't really care about those things. What I care about is is your heart mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah that's at the culmination of Joel just right there in the middle uh, even just looking at it you can tell that's like the center that the middle of the whole book is is God's call to repentance and then, of course, yeah, the people do. And, and by the way, God's called to repentance. Again, verse 13 is all about his character. character. I was going to say that. Next, go ahead. So it return <laughs> to the Lord your God. So that's what repent means. Just return, yeah, re- leave, walk point. away from. And it's because of his character. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Yep. He... I think Blake preached on it not too long ago about how God is a loving Father. Mm-hmm. He's not one that when we confess our sin, it's, it's a mute point because he knows our sin anyways, but when we confess our sin, he's not uh, there to, to bring judgment or condemnation, but he's there as a gracious, loving, merciful Father, and he's slow to anger.
0: So, Blake, let me let me, let me build on that with you. Explain to people why... Knowing
3: God's character Mm -hmm. makes it easier for us to have true repentance. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Going back to that sermon that uh, you mentioned, uh, my introduction was uh, with Mike Tyson. And, you know, Mike Tyson was always looking to do a knockout punch. And people just have the same kind of idea when it comes to God, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. Knowing the character and how good he is, is like that should be a magnet for us to go towards him. Yeah. And we don't repent because, we shouldn't ever repent because of just over-crushing guilt or shame. Guilt and shame don't come from God. That was put on the cross. Mm-hmm. And knowing how good he is, that should be what strives us to run towards the Father. Mm-hmm. And that's why we do it. We don't repent because of guilt and shame, but we repent because we have a good, good God who loves us. So that's the, that's the reason we do that. And I wish somebody would have explained that to me when I was five six seven eight nine ten years ten years old and so we see just his love is what really attracts should attract us to repent yeah
0: and see Jeff I think I think that um, building off of that I, I think that it's the one thing that causes people to um, to take a legalistic approach to God right mm-hmm. but this idea that I have to do these things and I think I think those people who get caught up in legalism, what we call legalism, where um, where you have to follow rules and laws right. in order in order to please God, they miss they miss the mark of well you don't have to do that because it's it's a misunderstanding of
1: God's character. Right. I'm I'm, I'm more like trying to appease the judging God as opposed to trying to get to know the loving God. Right. Mm-hmm. And
0: that even the judging God is a loving God in the way that He judges. Yes. We want yes. Him to be just. I don't want God to be uh to, to be a god of injustice. I want a god who's just, right? Um, I want a god who's going to call wrong wrong and call evil evil. I've got enough <laughs> I got enough people in p- political positions of power who refuse to call evil evil. I I, I don't I, that's why I don't want to worship them. Um I'll worship a god. I, I want a just God, but you're right. I also want a god that, that same that that god of justice comes uh, because, because he loves I can I can love that God of justice as well and trust him.
1: And when he's mentioned those those character traits mm-hmm. it's, it comes from Exodus right, which 30, Moses 4, repeats, you know uh, that God's that kind of God and that's after the, the yeah. calf and <laughs> he brings them back into fellowship with God. And if you think about it, you know in this pandemic, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are angry at God right now? That are blaming God that are saying you know why did God do this why did my grandma have to die or my brother and sister you know why did I have to lose my job you know why did my candidate lose or you know all these things that people would say they could get angry with God because you know in their mindset he's a judging God Mm. and so I think that's why he's trying to remind them he restored us from that he's going to restore us again that's why we return and repent to him so let me
0: uh we're getting close to the end here jeff i know you had some other things that you wanted to bring up maybe from the message you didn't get well, just to talk uh,
1: about um the last thing i was going to say about you know when i mentioned about uh, the valley of the decision my i got a mm. i had a cousin named joel and uh, he was well he's actually my second cousin and um he died when i was in seminary where we he was about a year younger than me and uh he he, he uh, basically died of heart failure due to you know uh, abuse of drugs, and so I had to do his funeral. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, his name is Joel, and the verse I came to was that verse about multitude multitudes in the valley of the decision, mm-hmm. that we all have to make a decision about Joel. And what happened with Joel when we were growing up? He was one of the people that went forward when I was like, I don't want to be left out because my cousins and all were mm-hmm. going up there. Well. Uh because we are independent Baptists and a little later, you know, we started wearing our hair out and stuff like that. Well, we had like a youth choir and, and my cousin Joel was told you, you can't sing in the choir because your choir your hair's too long. <laughs> and so he, he left church and his mom got mad and they, and they left and he and his brother. Wow. And um and that was probably when he was about thirteen years old. And you know, then I do his funeral when he's you know, twenty nine years old. You know, in a seminary, mm-hmm. and um, you know, life is too important for us to not help people make the right decisions when it comes to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the, the the message version says mass confusion and mob uproar in the in decision valley. <laughs> God's judgment day has arrived arrived in decision valley and so you know we just had this huge decision as a nation and some people see you know mass confusion some people see mob uproar they see all this stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and what we need to see is lost people in this regardless of what political side they're on they're 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 lost and they're looking for something other than god to fulfill them Mm -hmm. to um Make things right, you know, to restore justice, to all these things that people want and need. But we can't get it from a human; we have to get it from Christ. So, so the opportunity then opens us up to be able to share Christ, regardless of our political views, if we're not leading off with our identity being politics first, but but Christians first and His kingdom first. Yeah. Then, um, you know, it's just. It's a good. It's a good book to kind of go back and do some more reading and see how people um, interpret some of these scriptures. You know. Right. Right. Uh, and all these books are good. I mean, uh, I think it's. I think it was good that we went through this series with these minor prophets. I agree. Final thoughts from you guys,
0: Jeremiah? Anything you want to add as we're closing up shop here?
2: No, just the same. You know, just as the individual. Because um, we talked a lot about countries and you know national repentance or whatever, but mm-hmm. I, I want to bring it to the individual and say that that if we return, if we repent to God, um, then He will relent of His of His disaster upon you and uh, love you and be, He's patient with you and compassionate to you. And in case you're wondering, uh, you're gonna hear this again next week. So, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I, I'll probably just stop here and I guess tell you to listen next week. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Blake, final thoughts? Yeah, um, revival will come when Christians quit confessing everybody else's sin and mm-hmm. we start confessing our own, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. the best way to partner with the Holy Spirit. How uh, and to bring about His bring about His kingdom. So. Yeah. Well, I'll,
0: cl- I'll close up. Um, by Jeff, you mentioned that Joel there, when he talks about the character of God, is, is quoting from Exodus. And it's from Exodus 34, 6. Mm-hmm. And it's where um, the Lord passes in front of Moses. And it's God that proclaims this about himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, Yahweh. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And then verse 8 tells us what Moses' response is to this, to hearing this character. And it says that Moses immediately bowed down to the ground and worshiped. Mm. And, um, and he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wrongdoing and sin and accept us as your own possession. So Moses immediately worships and repents. Hopefully you can grab a good notion of who God is this week and in the midst of wherever you are and that you, uh, as you do, and you just revel in who he is, revel in his character and what he has done, uh, may it cause you to worship and uh, desire <clears throat> to repent and to serve him even more. All right. That closes us up from Money Main Point. Next week, Jeremiah will be preaching from Micah. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are too. How many chapters do you got to read, Jeremiah, from Micah? Seven. Seven. That's not as much as Hosea. So so anyway, uh, make sure and take a look at that. Read up on Micah. Be prepared for Sunday. If you can join us live, be here live. If not, if you don't feel comfortable, you can always join us on Facebook Live. And make sure and join us again right here, Monday Main Point, next Monday. We'll see you then. So